Good morning, Will. I'm excited to get into the Word of God this morning. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles before we pray, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, of course, but uh, we're going to look primarily and let it be our foundational verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're going to kind of move to the other end of the spectrum uh, today that we were looking at last week. And last week, we were looking at the role, we started to look at the roles of men and women, and we looked primarily last week at the role of, of females and women and wives, and how we looked across the scriptures and we said it seems very evident that complementarianism, which is that view that says, while ontologically or intrinsically equal, meaning equal in worth and equal in value, <coughs> equal in the sight of God, there are differences in role. And I think that most people wouldn't have an issue with that, uh, that are here or that live around us. Some do, a lot don't. Um, but I know that the world in general, our culture, especially our American culture, is starting <coughs> to push to a place that they're trying to do away with, with manhood and masculinity altogether. And they're trying to give all the manliness to the women and the femini feminism uh, to the men. Uh, I put a post on Facebook this week, uh, and I believe it with all of my heart, that the world is desperately seeking to turn men into women and women into men. Does anybody say amen to that? Amen. It's so obvious. I mean, with the whole Bruce Jenner thing, every, every single television you show you watch seems as if it's part of the requirement that you have to have a homosexual in the, 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 the cast. Uh, am, I, am I true there? Uh, it's, it's like the media and the secular uh, communication sector is pushing an agenda, pushing, pushing, pushing. That masculinity is something that is disgusting. It is something that uh, shouldn't be, uh, and men are attacked on a daily basis. So last week we looked a little bit at uh, how precious it is in the sight of God because a lot of you women are attacked every day too. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in our bucket group, is that if a, if a woman, uh, and I've talked to many of you, and you are strong biblical women who have no problem uh, submitting to your husband and love the fact that your husband is a leader or long for your husband to be the leader of the home, and you want to submit, and, and that's not to say that you're a doormat, and I think that we covered that last week. We are not at all saying that a woman is, is uh, stupid or weak or less. She just has a different role. And that would be that she would be actively submissive, meaning that her and her husband become one, and she helps him, and he helps her. He leads, she follows, and the two become one in this, in this thing called life. And they are a better example of Jesus Christ in doing so. This week, we'll turn our attention to the men. And we'll say, okay, what is the man called to do? Uh, what should a man look like? What should a man speak like? How should he lead? Uh, how should he think about himself in his manhood? Before we get to that, uh, let us pray and ask God to come and show us and lead us and guide us. Jesus, I, I pray right now that you would continue to show us your presence here this morning. I have no doubt that you're already here. I have no hesitation to preach this word whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I believe it needs to be preached and taught 10 times a hundredfold more than it is right now because the death of the church is largely coming right now 
through emasculation or the death of the man. I pray that this morning that these guys in this room, these men, these boys, I pray, God, that they would feel, that they would feel the purpose that you have breathed into them, that they would step into that purpose, that they would own it through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that they would start to be or continue to be or grow into who you have called them to be, and that is men. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That is my prayer this morning for myself and every other man here. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to look with you. I'm going to, I want to look into the scriptures. And our foundational verse will be Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're going to move around. <clears throat> I'm telling you, when I started digging into this, the Lord just took me all kinds of places. I'm looking at different Old Testament stories. I'm looking at truths. I'm looking at New Testament principles. And I'm going, okay, God, how do I present this to the people? How do I present this to the men and the women who are going to be there this coming Sunday so that they could grab a hold of it so that it wouldn't just be words that are being spoken, but it would be the power of the gospel to change lives, that it would be the power of the gospel to help men to grow into the men that God wanted them to be. And it would help ladies to trust that God is going to do what God said he would do. And so this morning, I want to ask you to pray with me that God would direct me through his word because I've got about 18 hours of sermon here, okay? So we can just do it all if you want. That way we cover all of our bases. Or we can pray that God would streamline us through and we'll go as long as God wants us to go. But I want you to get what God wants for you, Amen. Amen. So let's get into the word. Ephesians chapter five. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to start as Terry knows I'm going to do. I want to start in verse 22. I want to quickly cover and look at the verses we looked at last week, but I want to also bring them to the place that we understand the other side of it in Ephesians 25 through 33. Starting in verse 22, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You remember that from last week. The as to the Lord tells me it's not cultural. It's not something that was true for a little while and now it's not anymore. Because the role between the church and Christ or us and Christ never changes. So ladies, you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord, meaning that that is what you are called to do. Whether you like it or whether you don't, that is what you are called to do. I tried to be a little gentle last week because I believe, ladies, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, knowing that they are the weaker vessel. I don't think that's degrading at all, but I believe what God is trying to say to us in that is that <clears throat> ladies are, are more fragile. They're more emotional, right? And all the men said... You just got in so much trouble. <laughs> My bad, I set you up. So uh, the ladies are, and, and I'm not saying that you're not strong. I'm telling you right now, you are strong in the ways that God made you strong. You are strong in the ways that God called you to be strong. I'm telling you right now, my wife is a lot stronger when it comes to being compassionate with the kids than I am. I'm very weak in that area. But 
ladies in general, they, they, are, they are more fragile. You don't, I, I shouldn't speak to my wife as I might speak to Wesley. I wouldn't speak to your wife as I would speak to you if I was giving advice or biblical counsel. Would I? Quite naturally, I wouldn't. And so it's, it's kind of like ladies are like fine china. They're a lot prettier, right? Than you ugly brute. Amen. <laughs> Say amen twice, Mark. Amen. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a lot prettier. They're a lot softer. They're a lot, if you feel my hands and I've busted my knuckle off this morning, I was like, yes, that'll be a good example. Right. <laughs> my wife, if you look at my hands versus my wife's hands, you know, she's, she's nice and manicured. My nails are bit off and ugly and my hands are hard as a rock. Hers are really nice and soft. You know, ladies are just, uh, hopefully, you know, some of you are like, my hands ain't soft. <laughs> Okay, we'll just move on, okay? <clears throat> but generally speaking, we want our ladies to be softer and our men to be harder, right? Yeah. I don't think many people would argue with that. Uh, but a man is more like an iron skillet, right? You can throw him down on the ground. He's really ugly, you know? Uh, it's just hard as a rock. You can knock him around, kick him around. Ask the guys that come to me for advice. I'm like, man up, sissy boy. You know, that's my first motive. That's my first line of advice every time, right? What you crying about, right? So with men are like iron skillets and women are like fine china. You want to handle them. You want to be delicate with them. Men are very stupid. Sometimes they break fine china, not meaning to, right? Uh, men, though, are made to be hard and they're made to be unbreakable. That's what we're going to talk about today. Man, I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, how the Lord has shown me something this week. Everybody's after the perfect marriage. Everybody's after the ideal situation. And they want ease and comfort. And a wife that comes in in her little gown. And she's got her lingerie already under her clothes. And, and she never argues. And she, ne amen. And she, and she, never, she never complains. But she's like, hello, dear. How is my wonderful masculine husband today? Thank you. Thank you so much for working and providing for me. No. That ain't helping you to be no man. That's easy to be a husband in that. But what I found in Scripture is that what God is known for when it comes to men is that every single time in order to make a boy a man, he takes them to the edge of what he can handle and just so far, but he doesn't let him go over. You see, God is bending you and he is trying to get you to the point of breaking until right to the point where you're about to break and he bails you out. The trials are what make you a man. Come on, huh? Amen. You see, that man that's in that bad marriage, when his wife is rebellious, when his wife is just mean, when she's a nag and you come by and he's on the roof of his house, that man right there, he's becoming conformed to the image of God because he's having to be like Jesus. If your wife has lingerie on every night, then you don't suffer trials. <laughs> and your life is way too easy. You're a soft little man. A real man's told no. Huh? I wasn't planning on saying that, but that was good if I do say so myself. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, maybe. All right, so I don't even know where I was. See, we're going to have fun today. Okay, Brandon's in trouble, and we're having a good time. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He continues on. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I think we've established that. Ladies, that's going to be hard for you. I recognize that. Part of the curse from the very beginning is that your desire would be for your husband and not like that, right? We know that. I mean, that wouldn't be a curse at all, you know? But that means that you will always be trying to one-up him. You're always going to be trying to lead him. You're always going to be uh, trying to knock him off of, the, off, of, off of his place of leadership. You're always going to be trying to knock him out of authority. You're, it's going to be hard for you to come alongside and, and, and lift him up and, and, and really help progress his authority and his, his leadership, by not a doormat type submission, but by an active submission where you would come alongside of him and be his helpmate, as the scripture says. For what? For woman was not taken out of, did a, uh, a wedding yesterday, it was beautiful. For woman was not taken out of man's head that she should reign over him, nor was she taken out of his foot that he would walk on her, but she, she was taken out of the rib the side, on the side of the man closest to his heart that she would be beside him. That she would be his equal in many ways, but that she came out of him, that he would lead her and bring her to the place that God wanted her to be. Let's read Ephesians 5.25. Now, wives submit to your husbands, but verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Who sanctifies the church? Jesus. Whose job is it to bring your household in line with Christ? Yours. Now, ultimately, God does that. Paul said, I, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. But God is calling you to plant. He's calling you to water. He's calling you to tend. He's calling you to work it. He's calling you to sacrifice. He's calling you to this job. And he expects you to do what he did. Now, let's ask the same question. Now, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. But husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, does Christ ever stop loving the church? Does he ever give up on the church? Does he ever lay down and quit? Does he ever get mad at her? Yeah. <laughs> but does it make him quit? No. How are you to love? That's what we want to look at today. What is your primary goal in your marriage? What is your primary goal in life? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, we're going to stop right there. I need to move on, and uh, we'll get to some of that in just a minute. <clears throat> I want to do a little travel across the scriptures. I want to show you a few things, but I don't have a ton of time to do so because i got to talk about Jesus a pretty good bit today. So what I want to do, I want you to turn quickly with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Hold the spot. I'm going to move around just a little bit before we get there. Now, what I see and what I have realized and what God has shown me this week, I already knew, but he put, oh, no, no, let's keep going. This week, God has really, really shown me and made it evident to me the schemes of the devil. 
Now, we all know it. We all see it. We all feel it. But I want to put words on it, and I want to put a label on it. I want to acknowledge it so that you'll know that it's happening to you, whether you know it or not. <laughs> the title of today's sermon is, We're in Sexual Awakening, the part of the series. But the sermon is, War of the Sexes, Part 2. The title of this specific term is, Death by Emasculation. Death by emasculation. You say, well, that's weird. Does everybody know what emasculation is? It is when you completely relieve a man of all his male parts that will distinguish him from a, from a woman. Basically, it is turning a man into a woman physically as, as, as much as you can. I want to tell you right now that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion and he is seeking to devour. He is seeking to tear the church apart. He is seeking to destroy the kingdom of God. He is seeking to make little of Christ. He is seeking to stop the gospel from going forward. And one of, if not, his primary means of doing that is to emasculate the men of God. Come on, guys. You see, if he cuts off the men, then the women are soon to follow. Because where the men go, so go the world. Amen? Amen? Where the men go, so go the world. So if you have a bunch of lazy, soft, pitiful men, the church is going to be lazy, soft, and pitiful. Our men are missing in many of our churches. We need men, godly men, powerful men to stand up and to lead the way, not in chauvinistic pig-like behavior, but in sacrificial warrior-type love. You are to lead. You are to lay down your life. And if we stand up, if we stand up and we are the men who God has called us to be, the gospel will go forward. Satan knows this. Satan knows this. So a few scriptures. 1 Peter 5, 8 <clears throat> says he is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Uh, Job, the whole book of Job, when Satan comes, what does he do? He attacks Job, right? He, he, he absolutely, he, he, he accuses Job. He's called the accuser. He accuses him. He even accuses him to God who knows all things. He says, he says, this servant of yours right here, he would abandon you if this or if that. He, he is not true. He is not true. This is not a man of God. What does God do? He says, try him. Test him and see. You know that Satan couldn't touch Job until God said, okay, let's test that theory. Let's see how much he can handle. But I'll tell you what, Satan. You can go this far and no further for the time being. Let's see how much of a man he is. Have at him. Oh, that's good, man. Because it tells us something. That trial in your life is no accident. That trial in your life is not in vain. That hard time, that, that combative wife, you think that surprised God? You think God's looking and said, my bad, bro. I didn't know. I didn't know she was going to be crazy. No. God knew. God knew. God knew. Amen. You see, Satan is the accuser. He's coming after him. He's coming after him. He's coming after him. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan is the tempter. <clears throat> he tempts Jesus. He tempts him. He says, come on. If you would only, if you will just, then it'll be good. It'll be easy if you are lonely. So he tempts even Jesus, and he's tempting you. He's drawing you. He's trying to allure you. Now, remember that word because there's two people trying to allure you. 
He's trying to allure you. He's looking really good. You know, everybody's like, they remember those movies. I said this in here before. When they think about Satan, they think about the exorcist, right? And the little girl's head goes, Aah. you know, and you're like, Satan don't love that. Uh-uh. Satan's like, click, 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 click. You know, he looks good. He's like, oh, man, he's, he's very sexy, right? He parades as an angel of light. He looks real good. He's very alluring, and you want him, and you want that sin, and it's drawing you in. It's calling your name, right? It's calling your name, like your wife should be doing. <laughs> Throw that in there right quick. But he's calling to you, and he's trying to allure you. See, he's tempting you. He's called the tempter. In Genesis, and we're about to pop over there, he's a liar and a deceiver. He's a liar and a deceiver. So you see, Satan is, is out to destroy the kingdom of God and to destroy Christ and all of his work and, and take the gospel out of play. And he's, a, he's prowling around. He's a tempter. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He's an attacker. And he's attacking, accusing. He's coming after it. And who does he come after primarily? Who does he come after? He comes after the man to emasculate him. But how does he come after the man? Through the wife. Almost every time. So many times. So let's look at Genesis. This is, this is the fall of mankind where it all started. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 uh, through 17 maybe. We'll just read until the Lord says stop. Genesis chapter 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... So what is, what is he doing there? He's lying. He's tempting. He's drawing her to question God. He is, he is calling her. <clears throat> he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The liar came after the bride. The liar came after the bride. Now, where was Adam? Where was Adam? Where was Adam to say, get back, Satan? Where was Adam to say, the Lord has said? Where was Adam to do what Jesus did in, in the wilderness, in the desert, when he was being tempted by Satan? It is written, it is written, God has said, be gone, Satan. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? Watching ESPN. Watching ESPN, probably so. I'll tell you where he was. I didn't catch this until the other day when God showed it to me. I was talking to a guy. I don't know if he's in here. I was talking to a guy, and uh, he said Adam wasn't there, and his wife fell. And I thought that too. But reading the scriptures, I don't think that that's true anymore. Let's keep reading. I want to show you something. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any tree, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, <clears throat> and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He was standing there the whole time in silence. 
coward. He knew what God said. You know what God says. Are you standing up and are you speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you guarding your family or are you standing by watching her be devoured? We need courageous men who will fight for their bride. I want you to listen to what happens. See, these roles are absolutely reversed right now. Turned on their head. They're reversed. The man is acting as the woman and the woman is acting as the man. First Peter says, let a woman learn in quiet submissiveness with a gentle spirit, which is precious to the Lord. Here, Eve is speaking boldly and the man is in quiet submissiveness, shut up in the corner. What happens because of the role reversal? And they heard the sound of the Lord. Now they ate, and he took it and ate it too. He was right there with her the whole time. He, take it and, he took it and ate it too. <clears throat> and verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to who? The Lord God called to? The man. Now who was it that was the spokesman of the couple? Come on, what? The wife. Who was it that, that, that took the fruit? The wife. Who was it that led her husband into sin? The wife. Doggone women. They are the death of us. But I want to show you something right now. When God came back to the garden, he didn't look for Eve. He didn't hold her accountable. She wasn't responsible to the Lord. When he came back, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you at, boy? Where are you? You get out here right now and you face me like a man. Do you think God thought it was Adam who messed up? No. He knew it was Eve. But who did he hold responsible? Adam. He says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Do you remember what it was like before the role reversal? They were both naked and unashamed. They were like, what's up? <laughs> now, as soon as sin's in the garden, they're like, like this. Sin brings shame. You want, you want to know why your wife doesn't want to lay down with you? You want to know why your husband is ashamed? You want to know why your wife is not trusted? You want to know why your intimacy is not like it should be? Sin. Distrust. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the, the fruit of the tree and I ate it. He threw her under the bus and blamed God. She did it, God, and you gave this, me this crazy woman. You, you pulled her out of my side. You, I can't create God. You made her and you made me marry her. This is all yours and hers fault. I ain't got nothing to do with it. Huh? Does that sound like the American man or what? It wasn't me. 
It continues. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? So her sin is acknowledged. You see, men, lots of the problems within our culture, within our world, within your family, within my family, they're your fault. And you will be held responsible for them. And she will as well. But I'm going to tell you something right now, men of God. If you are not leading how God has called you to lead, you will answer for the sins of your family. You, God has put you. You see, everybody's like, the man is the head of the house. Well, well hold on there. You can take that. That's biblical. But you're going to take what comes with it. The responsibility to lead it. And then what happens if you don't? There will be a double curse for you. Those who will not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. There will be a double portion of foot to tail for you. There will be, the flames will be twice as hot. Don't take the authority without taking the responsibility. I got to move on. We got to go. Okay. I want to skip on down and I want to show you the curse and we're going to move on. God said here, and God said to Adam as he's given out the curses <clears throat> in verse 17, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Because he listened to his wife and didn't lead his wife, every one of us are now cursed. Sin now has entered into the world. That's one example. Uh, another example is in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 2, and 16, 1 through 13. I'm not going to go through that whole thing because I've got to move on a little bit. But see, Adam's failure to lead brought death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 22, I'm not going to flip, even flip over there, but it says, even as sin came into the world through one man, through one man will life come into the world. Adam, the first Adam, brought death. Jesus, the second Adam, will do what Adam did not do, and he will lead and lay his life down, and he will bring life. Through Adam, the world fell. I'm doing this for a reason. Now, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 16, <clears throat> God promises Abraham in Genesis 12 that I am going to make you the father of a huge nation. Your children will be more numerous than the sands on the seashore. This is a promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay? Genesis 16, Sarah's like, did God really say? Did God, did God say, has God failed? Has God let us down? Where is God at now? He said that he was going to do this, but where is he now? I want to read that part before we move on because I want to establish this firmly with you. Now, Sarah, Abraham, Sarah at that time, Abraham's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. 
Adam listened to the voice of his wife. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah, Sarah, who had told him to go and have relations with her servant so that maybe I can get a child that, that way because obviously God's fallen asleep on the job. And Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> Did he not know that this was going to be bad in the end? You know, women say some crazy thing off the cuff. And you can't listen to a word a woman says, right? Amen. Well, you say, what do you mean? You get me in trouble. I can't believe you just said amen. What I mean is this. Women speak in opposite language. Right? Amen. Hey, they speak in ways not yet known by mankind. When my wife says, I'll be sitting on the couch. Obviously, I'm not getting up, going anywhere. My wife be like, was you going to go into the kitchen and get you something to drink? <laughs> what she really means is, will you get up and go to the kitchen to get me something to drink? <laughs> right? Uh-oh, you see this big flashing light says, be careful. <laughs> Heather says, I don't do that. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just using an example. But women do do that. Now, if a woman comes out of the closet with her clothes on, and she says, does this outfit look good on me? Absolutely. Every outfit my wife has is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> B-E-A-utiful. Because she don't really want to know. Now, Angie says that she does want to know. I say, yeah, right. You don't really, you want us to say, oh. You know, Andy Griffith says, oh, my. Oh, my. That's why I say it. Ooh. Man. Uh, yeah. So Abraham listened to the voice of his wife like, Abra, uh, like Adam did. And you know what happened because of that, right? Adam's sin, uh, his failure to lead in the role reversal brought sin to the whole world. Abraham's failure to lead and role reversal and listening to the voice of his wife brought division through God, to, from God's people and everybody because out of that Ishmael was born. If you know anything about that, I don't have time, but Ishmael is the father of the Palestinian nations and, and all of this Israel and Islam and all of that came out of that. And now that's a huge mess, right? They can't get along with anybody. Why? Go read uh, Genesis chapter 16. <clears throat> but let's move on because I want to show you now. This is no small problem. This is no small problem. The role reversal. You see, many churches are egalitarian, meaning that uh, they allow women to pastor and hold the elder position at the church. Now, here at the well, I'll tell you exactly how we do it and how we feel, <clears throat> is that we say that women can do a multitude of things in the church. I believe that women are gifted. The Bible speaks of women deaconesses, okay? The Bible speaks of prophetesses. The Bible speaks of women who get words from God. The Bible speaks of women who can teach children and, and lead. And it says that they can lead and teach other young ladies how to love their husbands and how to go that way. Proverbs 31 speaks of a very strong and intelligent woman who can do business in the marketplace. So I think it's okay for a woman to have a job. Do I think it's ideal? Me and my wife talk about that. She's got a job. I would rather her be home. But I respect that she would like to go to work, and we don't fight about that. I don't see any biblical grounds to do so. But 
it's a kind of a, it's a Christian conscience thing. You make that decision. Proverbs 31, you can't read it and not say that it seems okay for a woman to work, okay? As long as she's still loving her kids and doing what she needs to do at home. Here's the question. When Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 2, when he writes that I do not permit a woman to hold authority over a man, to teach or to hold authority over a man, what then does he mean by that? And the way we stand here, and the way we understand that here at the well, is that we understand that we don't believe that a woman should have the leadership position in any, in the home or in the church, because God has given that to the men. Now along with that, at the same time, the men will be held responsible for the home and the church. If you go and read the qualifications of deacon or elder, more elder, the deacon is kind of, we'll have to have a conversation on that. But the elder, it says, how can a man be over and manage the house of God if he can't even manage his own household? We see that the man is called to be a man and lead in every area. This is no small problem. If you find churches that allow women to be the elders in the church, I think you have a huge problem. And I think you have the same problem that was from the very beginning that brings sin and division. And it ultimately hurts the church. Now, praise God for a woman because we've been in churches before. And I've, I've seen churches before. And I think if you go to Judges chapter 4, you see the same thing. When the men won't lead, when there's no men to be found, when they won't stand up, who's going to do it? Somebody has to do what God needs done. You see women being used. But I don't think it's the ideal and I don't think it's the biblical principle. And so we need men to stand up. But why are our men fleeing the church? Why is it so hard to find a man in church? Now, this church is a little weird. Y'all are weird. But I think it's since day one that we've been hammering, hammering that we need men. Stand up. Be a man. Be a man. Be a man. Showing the balance. Because what we don't mean is that men are just burly brutes that spit the backer. Right? And pass gas really loudly and burp at the table. Right? If that's your definition of a man, we got issues. All of the wives just went. We need men who are strong, but at the same time as gentle and, and loving and alluring. Right? Ladies, how many of you would like to have a really strong... If your husband's not like this, this would be a good opportunity to be like <laughs> a really strong, masculine, self-sacrificing man who is both strong and the strongest you've ever seen, but also the most gentle you've ever seen as well. I really need to do some work on this area. As I speak, I'm being convicted by the look of my wife. <laughs> the strong part I don't have as much of a problem with. It's the gentle part. Now, I want to dispel a myth. A lot of people think that in order to be very manly, you can't worship God. You can't, you can't bellow out cries to God and tears and tears. They think that's not very manly. They think that to, to lower your guard and to serve your wife and to love her and to love God and to worship God is a sign of weakness and, it, and it's a sign of timidity and, and kind of a sissy thing to do. I'm going to put these right here just in case y'all want to test that theory <laughs> later on. Uh, 
I got two pair. I'm going to tell you right now. Because you worship God and you love God and you serve and you love and you lay down your life and you are open and you are emotional and you let God move in you does not mean you're weak. If you think that you can't be a man's man and go to church and love God, let's test that theory. I've got about 10 here that would love, love for you to try it. You can have me if you want me. We'll do it. What I'm telling you is, is that the baddest men are the men who are both powerful and loving. I'll show you. I'll show you. What does that mean? We need men to rise up and be men. What does that mean? What is biblical manhood? What does it look like? And I'll tell you, it looks like the gospel. It looks like the gospel. There's three things that identify and are true of a man's man, of a biblical man, of one who is, is, is in every way like Christ has called him to be. And that would be a man that is conformed to the image of God, to the image of Christ. <clears throat> three things that I've found and will be done. I wish I had a little bit more time. It's raining. I don't think we got anywhere to go. I want to show you something. I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think a lot of the times we have this idea of what it means to be a man, that we can't do certain things or we can't uh, allow ourselves to be vulnerable in certain ways, or we can't <clears throat> love in certain ways, or we can't, we can't allure. Oh, let me tell you something right now. Just because your marriage looks rough doesn't mean that, that something's went wrong, terribly wrong. You see, God is, is, he is the author of all things. He is not, he is not the, he is not surprised. There's no accidents when it comes to God. Now, when sin is involved, God is not the author of sin, but he is the author of all things good. And what God is doing is he is working in the bad in order for, to produce the good. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, God is working all things together for the greater good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The number one purpose in your life and your number one goal is to love God and glorify him forever, is to enjoy God and glorify him forever, forever. How do you do that? You do that by being conformed to the image of his son. Now, how does that happen? It happens through everything that's going on in your life. I want to show you three hallmarks of what it means to be a man. It doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be perfect. God may have these things in your life and has allowed these things in your life to conform you to the image of his son. You see, I have the privilege of talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we've been talking, and I've been, I've been talking to him, and I asked him if it was okay if I shared this. I'm not going to give any names. But I was talking to him about his marriage, and he's got a rough marriage right now. And he's been to the edge, and he's thought about giving up. 
Actually, there's a couple like this in the church. And he's thought about giving up, and he said, I, I can't take it no more. I don't think God would have this for me. This is hard. This is tough. I think I'm going to throw in the towel. And my advice has always been up to the point earlier this week was that just press on. God, it's going to get better. God will hold you until the end. God will make it look a certain way, which automatically makes him think that God's trying to work it out, but he can't. Is that he is a failure, and it's not working, and he's not doing what God has called for him to do. But I had a revelation this week. I had a revelation as I read the book of Hosea. We are going to be a little bit longer if you want to go tell Kidwell. Sorry. I'm not sorry, but sorry, but not sorry. This is good. You're going to, you, you, it's going to be good if I can find the book of Hosea. Okay, cover small ears if you don't want them to hear words, but they are just right out of the Bible, okay? <clears throat> this is what God's word says about Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, he commanded him, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. This is not paraphrase. God commanded Hosea to go and marry a whore, a very promiscuous woman. A very hard woman. A woman that would destroy you. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have asked me, doesn't the Bible permit and give me permission to divorce my husband or my, or my wife if they've committed adultery? Legally, yeah, maybe. We can find those scriptures. But there's an overpowering principle that I think outweighs that. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here it says in, in this book that God commanded him to go and take this troubled wife. God commanded him and led him in to this relationship of trial and trouble and despair and disgust and hurt and pain and loneliness. God commanded him to do it. You see, God knew what he was doing. Man of God, if you're in a troubled relationship, know that it is not an accident. Woman of God, if you're in a relationship that is troubled and you see no hope and you're in despair, know that God has a purpose for this trial and that God, men of God, God knew what he had. And I'm telling you right now that he would trust no other man to lead and draw his daughter to himself. He chose you for a reason. He chose you because he trusted you. And he is going to do a work in you. This is your ministry. This is what God's called you to. This is what he's prepared you for. This is what he has for you. Don't run from your ministry. You stay and fight until the very last breath. Amen. She was continually and continually and continually and continually unfaithful. <clears throat> I want to show you something, though. It says, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore. 
not your brides when they commit adultery. I won't punish them. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding or the leader that gives understanding, they will come to ruin. What you are called to do is not have a perfect relationship. Huh? What you are called to do is not live in ease and live in comfort and have the American dream. The American dream. You're called to be a, a disciple of Christ. You're called to be a Christ follower. You're called to when it gets hard, you press on. You're called to when it gets rough, you get rougher. You're called when it gets hard, you get harder. You're called to be a man. To never give up. That's the first point. Is that a true man, the mark of a true man is never taking the easy way or the coward's way out. Don't you give up because God has called you here for a very specific purpose. I'm convinced now more than ever, I'll never tell a man it's okay to divorce. I might, I might change my mind later. At this point in my life, I don't. If your wife cheats on you, what do you do? If, she's, if she whores herself out, what do you do? Let me show you what God does. <clears throat> Israel has gone astray. Israel, we, the church, have played the whore. We have prostituted ourselves out. You do it every single day, child of God. God says, come with me. And you says, I want to get my satisfaction over here. I want to make that money. I want to get that fame. I want to be easy. I want to be lazy. I want to, I want to get that nap. I want to watch that show. I want to, I want to, I don't want you. I want to go after this thing over here. We play the whore every day. But what, what does God do? What does God do? Men of God, when your wife is not what you think she should be, what is it that you do? What is it that you do? <clears throat> this is what God does. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. There's our word. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Ooh, ooh. That's, that's Hosea 2, I mean, Hosea 3, 14 and 15. I'll say it again. Ooh. Babe, I'm going to try to allure you tonight. <laughs> Should I not have said that? <laughs> I just killed my alluring. <laughs> Dog, on it. You're not Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, back when she didn't hate me, my paraphrase, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt and remembered why she married me, my paraphrase. And in that day declares the Lord, I want you guys to listen to this who are in troubled marriages. Those ladies who are in troubled marriages, this can, this can apply to you in some ways too. And in the days, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. Does that make any sense to you? 
You see, sometimes in a relationship, you can, she can walk away. She can turn her back. She can, she can play the horse. She can go down that road, and it can be all of her sin. But, but, but she's turned, and she started. To, how many of you men, right now, you say, she used to love me. She used to love me. I don't know what I did. I'm sure I wasn't perfect, but now she hates me. Now I'm the enemy. Now I'm the Baal. You see, Baal was the false god, the god of destruction, who was out to, to, to destroy Yahweh, the god of the Bible. And it says... The, God is saying that you are looking at me like I was the enemy. You are looking at me like I was Baal. You are looking at me like I was the one who was out to destroy you. But I'm not. I love you. And you know what? I'm not going anywhere. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you more than they love you so that one day you'll see. I'm going to allure you in. I'm going to speak tenderly even though you spit in my face and you go and you get your, your, your satisfaction somewhere else. I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to call to you. And I'm still going to stroke your face though you spit in mine. I'm still going to love you and at the end of the day, love wins. Never take the easy way out. Never take the easy way out until the very end. You fight until it's over. You fight until every last breath is breathed out of your lungs and you're dead on the floor. You never give up. You never give up. Because God in this is what he's called you to do. See, we're always looking at the next thing. When I get past this, I'll be in my purpose. Absolutely not. You are where God wants you to be. Right now in this moment. Your wife is wayward. Who do you think God? I have people say, I just don't think this is the one I was supposed to marry. I think I missed my soulmate. What does that even mean? <laughs> All that is is that this one's not easy. God must have gotten it wrong. God put you here because he wanted to trust you to do with this relationship what he did with the church. The second is never giving up or backing down. First Kings 19, I don't have time to go there. Uh, as the band comes up and I do close out. We can do this all day long. We could go to 1 Kings chapter 19. It speaks of Elijah ready to give up. But the Lord feeds him and he gives him a bite to eat and a drink of water. And he says, go on. I've got you. I know you can't handle it, but go on. You see many of you at the point of breaking. <clears throat> and you're wondering why. God has done this to you. As we all stand to our feet, <clears throat> I want to tell you right now that a picturesque American dream uh, marriage relationship is not the goal. If that happens, praise God, I guess. But I want to tell you right now, I look at that man. <clears throat> you see, he's been ready to leave for a while. He's been asking God, why me? The relationship is on the edge. He's at the end of his rope. He's about to break. He's saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you putting me through this? Why does my wife not love me? Why do you not love me? And God is saying, don't you understand that this is what I'm doing for you? Because this is what you need in your life. You see, I'm not concerned with the American dream wedding. Or the American dream marriage. I'm concerned with conforming you to the image of my son. And I'll tell you right now, 
Be, having a great wife, it's easy to be a good husband. You only have to really try. It's not that hard. But in the upside down kingdom, Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. Is that don't be surprised when they hate you for they hated me. He says, love your enemies. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to invite those into your house and eat with them that can repay you with a meal. But I say unto you, give to those who can't give back. Feed those who can't throw you a nice dinner. You see, it's easy. It's easy to be the type of man that everybody thinks is successful when you've got a good wife. But I'm going to tell you right now, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I told that man, I said, I take my hat off to you, brother. Because everybody around him, a lot of people around him were saying, you stupid. Staying with her. This is stupid. I think that she's cheating on you. You're dumb for staying with her. She's using you for your money. Stupid. You need to leave her. Stupid. I don't know why you would stay. It's ridiculous. You get treated like a, like a, like a piece of dirt. This is ridiculous. How can you stay in that? Don't you have any pride? Don't you have any confidence? I've never seen a man display Christ more in his marriage. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we played the whore, he came and married us. And he allured us and he speaks to us and he draws us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you think he should leave us? Don't you think he should turn his back on us for all that we've done? Do we deserve his love? No. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man of God, if you're being bent and you think you're about to break, you are in the perfect spot because that's how we get stronger. I'm going to open the front now for a for a response what I would love to see down here are men accompanied by their wives if you don't have a wife it's fine I would like to see men on their face not ashamed of the gospel which is the power of Christ for salvation I want to see men who come to cry out to God to make them strong but to also make them gentle to make them powerful leaders at the same time as sacrificial servants. We need good men. We need powerful, loving, sacrificial men. Respond to God today. Let's rise up, men of God. Let's go right now. Pile in.